You know, there's moments, to be honest, that I think I'm kind of killing it as a dad. I've got two young kids, as you guys know, a two-year-old, almost, she's going to be three this Saturday, and a one-year-old. And sometimes I think I'm killing it as a dad, and then my wife leaves, and I'm left with the kids by myself. I soon remember quickly that I'm not really killing it, that I really need my wife's help. In fact, she was out doing some errands the other day and I was watching the kids and I was trying to get ready because when she got back from the errands, we were going to go over to somebody's house. And so I was just doing my hair or something. I don't know. I was in the bathroom and my little boy comes in and he is like, he's just a brute right now. He's just over one years old and we walk in or he comes into the bathroom and somehow, I have no idea how, but we had this little bottle of hairspray. My wife and I don't even use hairspray. And it was on the top of the bathroom counter and he takes it off. Somehow he gets the cap open and he drinks the hairspray. Now, hairspray has a lot of alcohol in it and he spits it out of his mouth right away and then he throws up. And so here I am, the dad who thinks he's killing it, calling my wife saying, I just talked to poison control. Your son just vomited. He drank some hairspray. It was kind of a nightmare. But the point is, is this. God has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? And when we are reminded of our weakness, it is actually there that we can grow to become stronger. And here today, the title of our text is going to be The Power of Weakness because Paul talks about the power of weakness. In fact, I saw in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, it's a popular verse, but I read the Good News translation this week. And I thought it was quite fitting for tonight's text because it says this, He, speaking of God, has no use for conceited people, but shows favor to those who are humble. He's got no use for those that think they're killing it. But he has use for those who are humble. And here we are truly going to see Paul's humility. We're going to break down tonight as followed in three sections. We're going to see a resume of weakness from chapter 11 verses 22 through 32. And then we will see number two, a reminder of weakness from chapter 12 verse 1 through verse 8. And then we will see a reason for weakness in chapter 12 verses 9 through 10. But first a resume of weakness. Here, if you remember in our study in 2 Corinthians, the church of Corinth was enamored by these super apostles. In chapter 10 and on, we talked about it in chapter 10 and last week, these super apostles, they were pretty cool. They were the celebrity pastors of the day and they were great communicators. They were great leaders. They might address school, we don't know. But the church of Corinth was enamored by them. They were distracted by them. But we learned that these men were preaching a different gospel. And gospel that was Jesus plus fill in the blank. Whether it was rituals, the Judaizers bringing in circumcision, whether it was Jesus plus anything. They were adding to the person of Jesus and taking away from God's grace. And here, Paul told them last week, as we saw, they were slipping from the simplicity of the gospel. They were taking the dangers, if you remember, of distraction and false doctrine, deception. And here, Paul is writing down a divisive line and he's calling these men out. These men were trying to strip Paul of his authority, these super saints. And these men like to boast about how good they were. And so here, as Paul is drawing the line, he calls them false teachers. He finally calls them out for what they were. And now we see Paul's resume. 
We pick up here and Paul's resume is not full of strengths, but his resume is a resume of weaknesses. We just read over this resume and it's full of different credentials and all these credentials point to the fact that Paul the apostle was well acquainted with grief and sorrow. He was well acquainted with pain and problems. He was well acquainted with danger and difficulty. Paul, the apostle, his credentials, his resume of his authority that he gives to the Corinthians. First, he says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. These men were boasting about their credentials. And Paul himself, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This guy was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a scholar of the Old Testament. And he quickly glances at that. But then he goes into these weaknesses and he says that he was a harder worker than them all. That he was beaten often, imprisoned often, was near to death often. These were Paul's credentials. He goes on to say that from the Jews, he received five times the 40 stripes minus one. Now this beating, this beating was awful. This beating was with a leather scourge and and we know that they would be tied. Paul would have been tied to a post and he would have to kneel down on his knees and he's tied up to this post and they would beat him. A third of the beatings were on the right shoulder that would go on to the chest and the back and then the other shoulder, the full back. Paul's whole body would have been ripped open by this scourge. In fact, we know that in antiquity, people died from this beating in itself. Paul experienced it five times. These were Paul's credentials. What they would have referred to as weaknesses, Paul is saying, these are the very credentials. These are what give me authority. He was beaten by the Roman rods three times. He was stoned to death in Lystra. He was shipwrecked three times. The book of Acts records that he was shipwrecked even more times. And then he goes into the eightfold perils, these eightfold dangers that speak of this life that was full of stress and turmoil. And these are Paul's credentials for his ministry. These are Paul's credentials for his authority. Paul says there in verse 29, we'll read it again. He says, who is weak and am I not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying about these things. And Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, in a moment we'll go forward there, but he's here saying that his weaknesses, he's boasting and these affirmities, his credentials, his resume isn't full of strengths. He isn't showing off how great Paul was and why you should listen to Paul. No, he's saying you must listen because of the infirmities. I love it. It reminds me of kind of... Um, in the skater world, in the surfer world, we use this term called poser. You guys are probably acquainted maybe with the word poser. Poser is the one who dressed the way, they talk the talk, they look a certain way, but they really have no credentials. They don't know how to skate or surf at all. Well, here, Paul's kind of calling them out. He's calling all these super saints posers. You guys talk the talk, you look the walk, you guys are leaders, but the reality is, is you don't have any of the true credentials to back it up. You guys don't really know what it's like to suffer with Christ. Paul is boasting in his weaknesses. 
And he goes on there in verse 32 to even tell this embarrassing story. It would have been embarrassing to the Corinthians that he had to escape a city and escape this king by being let down in a basket. And here Paul tags us on to the end of his resume. This is the last thing to impress you, so to speak. Here he is, a resume of weaknesses, his credentials. It's been said that a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Here is quite obvious. For Paul, his faith had been tested. He had been tested time and time again. And Paul has proven to be trusted. These super saints were men of self-promotion. While Paul was a man of self-denial. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I want to be clear when we talk about weakness, what do we mean though? Let's define this word weakness. In the Greek language, this word for weakness, it does carry the idea of trials and tribulations. Paul's resume of weakness, it's not that he's boasting in in immaturity. You might think of weakness as someone that's immature or someone that's weak just allows other people to plow them over. No, when he's talking here about weakness through these next few verses, he's speaking of trials and tribulations and how these trials that he's walked through, these dangers that he's walked through, these infirmities that he's experienced, these are actually his credentials to be used by God. My question to you is what trials have you walked through? What trial are you in? So often we can be embarrassed by our weaknesses or our trials or the difficulties or the temptations that we face. But here Paul is saying these very things are not what disqualifies me from ministry. But these very things are what qualifies me for the work of the ministry. You see, the super saints of that time would have been said to endure all that must mean that God is mad at you. That's a common idea. If you're going through trial or difficulty or pain or problems, there are many and many worldviews and religions that would say it's because you've done something wrong and God is mad at you. Here, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. These trials, these temptations, these difficulties that he's experienced, these dangers, it's exactly what qualifies him for the work of the ministry. If you remember, Jesus, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, he was led where? Into the wilderness. And into the wilderness, he would be what? Tempted by who? Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. That happened before he went into his ministry. The very trial that you're going through or the trial that God has brought you through is exactly what God will use in your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's incredible. 
section of scripture, he says that the comfort in which I have received from God, the God of all comfort, the comfort which I have received, now I'm able to comfort others. God uses the trials. God uses the difficulty. God uses the pains and the problems to qualify us for the work of the ministry. For a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. The super saints love to show how spiritual they were. Look how much I can read my Bible. Look at the school I went to. Look at all the Old Testament scriptures I have memorized. Look at how well I can speak. They were loved to boast in their spiritual strengths, but Paul loved to show off how weak he was. What does this mean for us? It means that we can embrace our weaknesses. We can embrace the trials and temptations and the problems and pain that we have gone through because it is exactly that that God will use in our lives. I love this because I do not have to try to be weak. I don't have to try to be wretched. I am a sinner. Apart from God, I can do no good thing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do no good thing in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. I know that I myself am weak. I don't have to try to be weak. I can put out my resume of weaknesses and show Paul, hey, me too. Now, it's not as intense as you, but I've got weaknesses. I've got some trials. I've experienced difficulty. We don't have to try to be weak. I love this because the world says the exact opposite. The world says, be the best version of yourself. Show off that version of yourself. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, wherever it is, it's like, look how awesome we are. Look at my highlight reel. Look at all these photos. Look how amazing I am. Paul's saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to impress God. You don't have to impress other people. You don't have to be the best version of yourself by yourself. The world says to be stronger. The world says to work harder. The world says to climb to the top no matter what it takes. Paul says, I'm down here at the bottom. I'm weak. These are my credentials. The disciples asked Jesus, who would be the greatest of them all. Jesus doesn't condemn them for asking about the topic of greatness. He defines greatness by saying who would be the servant of all. Weakness was Paul's credentials. Weakness was Paul's resume. I love it because I cannot be strong. Can for maybe a season, but then I fail and then I fall short. Then I mess up. And then I disappoint and then I don't meet other people's expectations and I don't follow through on my promises. I am weak. And Paul says, I am too. And these were the exact credentials for him to be used by God. What is it in your life that you think disqualifies you from being used by God? I guarantee the thing that you think disqualifies you isn't the strength. It's the weakness. But Paul says, that that is the exact thing that God desires to use in your life. Paul here is weak. His resume of weakness. God is not interested in the highlight reel of your life. God is interested in the real stuff. 
what does this tell us? It tells us that it is not unspiritual to say that life is hard right now. Have you ever been to church and someone asks, how are you doing? You're like, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. Why do we think it's unspiritual to say life's actually kind of difficult right now? I'm actually in pain right now. I'm grieving the loss of a relationship or a friend or I just found out this diagnosis. Life is difficult. Why is it that we can't say that in church sometimes? We feel like even in the church, we have to put on a mask, put on a face to show how strong we're doing. I'm doing great. Paul says, you don't have to do that. It's not unspiritual to be going through difficulty. It's not unspiritual to be struggling. It's not unspiritual to be hurting. When we are going through those things, God says, perfect. I am the helper. I am the healer. Come to me. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you know the verse well, come to me all who are killing it. Come to me all who are super saints. Come to me all who have it together. No. Come to me all who are weary and carry light burdens. No burdens. No heavy burdens. Come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you a punishment. No. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Paul's resume of weakness. It's been said, this is an old quote I read. I forgot who uh, originally said it. But it says, it's not what you have, but what you do not have. That is the first point of contact between God and man. It's not what I have. It's not what I, my strength. It's what I lack. It's my weakness. That is the first point of contact between God and man. Here, Paul is boasting in his weaknesses. Paul is boasting in this resume. And again, I ask you tonight, what are the weaknesses that you carry? What trial do you face? Please realize God's grace that he does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He will use the very things that you are struggling with to grow you, to strengthen you, to transform you. We see this in our second section, a reminder of weakness. Let's read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12. Paul continues and he says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities, my weaknesses. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he seems to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. 
Here, as Paul continues, it's important to note that these super saints that were in the church of Corinth, they really loved to boast about the visions that they had. These men were quite spiritual super saints and they kind of were out against Paul because Paul was just a teacher of teachers. He was an incredible expounder of the world word. And so now Paul saying, hey, you want to hear about visions? You want to hear about revelations? He's reluctant in telling it, but he tells us that he himself died and went to heaven. He says, very reluctantly, he speaks in the third person for a second about this man who went up into heaven, but then he reveals that it was him himself who went up into heaven. He was caught up. It's important to note that the Bible speaks of three heavens. It speaks of the first heaven as being the atmosphere, the second heaven as being what we would refer to as outer space, and the third heaven is what we would refer to as heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God, paradise. That language, they didn't have different words like we do today, but the first heaven would be the atmosphere, the second outer space, the third heaven, paradise. And so Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. I was caught up into the dwelling place of God. This would have been magnificent. This would have been incredible. We read that this happened 14 years ago. Most Bible commentators track this back and looking at the book of Acts that this happened around the time when Paul was in Lystra. If you remember the story, he is preaching and, and man, the people are just amazed at his sermon. They hailed him and Barnabas as, as Hermes and Zeus. And then Paul reveals, no, that's not me. And he's a servant of Christ. And then they go from hailing him and wanting, wanting him to be king to stoning him. Paul is stoned there and left for dead. Many Bible commentators believe this is where he actually died. And he went to heaven. He was caught up into heaven. Paul here is giving a little bit of a humble flex to the Corinthian church, saying, you want to hear about visions? I've seen the real thing. I've been caught up to glory. But it's interesting that Paul says that he isn't even able to describe with words what he said. I remember when I was in like fifth grade, my grandma gave me a book it's like the boy who went to heaven. I remember it was a green cover. I thought it was the coolest thing. I, know, I, wasn't, I knew about God. I didn't really know God personally. But I thought this is interesting. I'm really scared about hell. I want to know about heaven. This little boy went. I want to learn about it. I read that book. But beware about these books and these men and these people that said that they were caught up into heaven and then they go on to write all books and going on these speaking engagements talking about what they saw in heaven. Here, Paul the apostle, a man of many words, an educated man, he was caught up to heaven. And he says he can't even express with words what he saw. If he can't express with words what he saw, then be careful to believe anyone else that says they've been up to heaven. Here, Paul is boasting in this fact, but here we're actually told that as a result of him being caught up into the third heaven, that in verse 7, that God allows a thorn 
in his flesh. Let's read it again there in verse 7. It says, Paul says, unless I should be exalted above measure. In other words, unless I be glorified among men or in his own mind, Exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. God had a way of keeping Paul humble. He didn't want Paul to be puffed up with pride as he's walking on the streets and preaching the gospel, knowing that he's the only man that's ever been to heaven and come back. And so The Lord allows this thorn in the flesh. It's interesting to note that this thorn in the flesh, the Greek word there for the thorn, actually refers to a big old tent spike. It's more like a sword in his side than a little splinter in his hand. This thorn in the flesh, many Bible commentators have different ideas of what this could have been. It could have been demonic attack. It could have been someone that was just coming up against him constantly in the ministry. It could have been a physical weakness or disease or struggle. Paul had a lot of problems and and different things. He had messed up eyes and messed up body and he had all all these beatings from being scourged. But what does this mean? The thorn in the flesh. What we do know is it was a trial that didn't stop. It was a trial that kept on going. It was relentless to Paul. We know that Paul prayed repeatedly that God would take this thorn away from him. But God allowed him to continue to be humbled. This thorn was a constant reminder to Paul of his need for Jesus. Paul would write in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words... Paul here is saying that there's purpose to your pain. God doesn't allow a thorn in a flesh to harm you. It's actually to help you. God's humbling is always God's helping. It's not that he's punishing you. But this thorn, this constant trial, this constant weakness that Paul had prayed for deliverance, what it made Paul do and respond that he would constantly be going to Jesus, be dependent upon Jesus. This trial, this weakness, this thorn would protect Paul from pride. This thorn would keep Paul praying. This thorn would be used by God because in the sufferings that we experience, it is there that we experience the sweetness of Christ in our lives. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He also said there in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God doesn't comfort the comfortable. He comforts the uncomfortable. And so another question to you tonight, what is a thorn in your flesh? 
What is it in your life that you continue to pray for? What is it that continues to taunt you or maybe haunt you? That you struggle with? Is it your past? Some even say that the thorn in the flesh was Paul's past. The memories of him killing so many Christians and persecuting him, persecuting them. Is it your past that sometimes taunts you and haunts you? Is there shame? Is the thorn in your flesh possibly a relationship? Is it a spouse? An in-law? A wayward child? Is it a medical condition? Maybe struggling with infertility? A bad decision? Anxiety? Depression? You're constantly praying, God, would you take this from me? Would you take this from me? Would you deliver this from me? God, would you heal this person? Would you restore this relationship? Would you restore this area in my life? Is it the shame that keeps knocking from the past because of something that you have done? Is there a thorn in your flesh that you're embarrassed by tonight? You've asked for deliverance and maybe... You're questioning now God's goodness in your life because he hasn't answered that prayer. Again, religion and moralistic thinking would say that God has not answered your prayer because of some secret sin in your life. Many would say the reason you're still struggling with that person, that situation, with that sin, that temptation, that trial Many would say it's because you have done something against God and God's upset with you and he's not answering your prayer. They put all the emphasis on you, your morality. Something that you've done in your past, that God is withholding blessing from you, withholding favor from you. The world would say that if there is a God, then he would be loving and take that thorn away. See, God doesn't exist. You're still struggling with that. You've been praying and praying and praying. The world would mock. The world would mock Paul. You've been praying and praying and praying for deliverance, but there has been no deliverance. Your God's not real. Your God doesn't care. Your God doesn't love you. Just numb it. Numb the pain. Numb the problem. Numb the trial. Maybe you think that you're over it and you're moving on, but then it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. This thorn in the flesh, the Lord would use to keep Paul dependent and reliant upon him. And we see a reason for weakness moving forward. Jesus does give an answer to Paul says, and we read in verse 9, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Can I tell you the good news tonight? Maybe that thing you've been praying for, that trial, that temptation, that struggle, that problem, that sin, God hasn't given you deliverance from. It is not because God's mad at you. It's not because God doesn't care about you. It's because he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you. 
This is good news. Because the super saints of that time, they said that God's grace is only enough to get you started, but it's not enough to get you to the finish line. Here, Paul's experiencing this weakness, this thorn in the flesh, and Jesus responds to him, the voice of God, red letters, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us. It's the favor and the love and the compassion of God. God is saying, allow my grace to be sufficient for you. Allow my grace to sustain you as you are here on earth before we enter into glory as we're struggling and we face trial and temptation and difficulty and sin. Jesus says, allow my grace to be sufficient for you. God's grace doesn't end. I've said it before. It truly is the bottomless pool that we can continue to swim in. God's grace doesn't stop for you. He says to Paul, God's, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Speaking of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are yet was without sin. God does understand. There's been moments where my wife and I get in, what you call them arguments, right? I mean, we, we all know that married couples and married pastors, we still argue every once in a while. And when my wife really is frustrated, she'll be, you just don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to be with the kids all day long. They're crazy. You don't understand, Tyler. There's moments that we're going through trial and difficulty and pain. And we can think, God, you don't understand. The book of Hebrews says, no, he understands. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that you were yet without sin. God does understand. God does get it. To be honest, there's moments that I don't get it between my wife. I, you know what, hon? I have to admit, I don't know what it's like to be with them all day and them crawling all over me, all over you, you and all, constantly. Like, we kind of have fun when we hang out. Like, it's like dad's home. I get to be like the hero when I come home. You know what I mean? But God does get it. God understands and he says, I have my grace that will be sufficient for you. The remedy that I have for you is my grace and it doesn't end. It is for you. It is in our weakness that we experience his strength. His strength is made perfect. It is complete in our weaknesses. The weaker I am, the more room there is for God to be magnified. The weaker I am, the more room there is for me to experience his power. James chapter four, verse six says that he gives more grace. He, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. The only roadblock to you experiencing God's power in your life is you. 
It's our pride that is the roadblock. It's our pride to say, I got it. God, I got it all figured out. How many moments have I been there? I'm like, God, I think I got this. And I'm struggling and I'm, I'm striving and it's difficult. And I'm disqualifying myself from experience God's grace. The only qualification for God's grace is humility. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is good news because again, this means that we don't need to work to be strong and to prove ourselves. God, look how awesome I am. God, can I now experience some of your power because I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been attending church. I've been doing awesome. Now, God, let me sense your presence. Let me sense your power. We don't have to work our way to experience it. We have to work our way down. We don't have to man up. We have to man down. We have to surrender and say, God, I'm not strong. God, I am weak. God, I am struggling. And it is when we're humble is there that we there experience the power of God's grace. It's the power of weakness. It's the exact opposite of what the world asks from us. Every aspect of the world says work harder, be better, do more. And the gospel of God's grace is say, just come down before me. And that's where you experience his power. It means that his power is available to all of us. Not a select few super saints, but all of us because we're all weak and fall short of the glory of God. This is good news. It is when we are weak that he is made strong. Paul, there to close out our verse, we read, He says, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The next time that you face temptation or difficulty or pain or problems, be reminded That it is in that place that we can experience God's power. It is in that place that we can take pleasure because we know our God is near to the brokenhearted. It is there that we experience his power working in and through our lives. All it takes is humility to say, God, look how I am nothing, but look how great you are. The Old Testament scriptures that really paints this out beautifully is in the life of Gideon. In the life of Gideon, if you remember, Gideon was a weak guy. Gideon was hiding on the threshing floor and we see an angel of the Lord appears and he says, you mighty man of valor. He wasn't really mighty at all. But there again, there's in our weakness, God sees strength. And so what happens is Gideon, he finally, God has to convince him to be his mighty man of valor. And and Gideon gets this army of guys and they're going against the enemy and the adversary and God slowly starts pulling and lessening and lessening and lessening his army, taking men away. So his army is decreasing and decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. And it is there when he gets his army almost down to nothing that they win the victory. Why? Because when we are weak, he is made strong. When we decrease, he increases. This is the life that God calls us to. And it's good news because we don't have to work and strive and prove ourselves for it. 
We simply get to receive his grace and his power as we humble ourselves before him. And so tonight we've seen Paul's resume of weakness. It's not that he's a super saint and all these strengths, but that he's experienced trial and tribulation and grief and distress and pain and problems. Can you relate This is exactly what God says. This is what qualifies you to be used by him. You don't have to hide your weakness. You can embrace your weakness. You can know that it's there that God desires to use you. We saw a reason for weakness. That weakness keeps us dependent upon God. And it also gives us access to his power. And so what is the right response to weakness in our lives? What is the right response to trials and to tribulations and pain and problems and difficulty? What is the right response to all these things? Mark chapter 3, there's a favorite gospel story of mine. And in Mark chapter 3, we read of a man with a withered hand. And this man with a withered hand, think of a withered hand. A withered hand is a deficiency. He was lacking strength. He was lacking power. This man with the withered hand, Jesus comes up to the man with the withered hand and he invites him to come to him. And as he invites the man with the withered hand to come to him, he says, stretch out your hand. And we see that the man's hand is restored. What's the point? The point is this. Don't hide your weaknesses from God. Hand them over to him. As we hand that problem, that relationship, that issue, that temptation, that trial, rather than hiding it from him, hand it over to him. And that is where you will experience God's power and God's grace in your life. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to impress you, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you, that we don't have to boast in our strengths and give you the highlight reels of our life. We thank you, Lord, that you know us for who we are, that we are weak. But in our weakness, Lord, you call us mighty men and women of valor and you desire to make us strong. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those in this room right now that may be carrying shame and weakness and difficulty. Maybe it's in their marriage. Maybe it's in their private life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe, Lord, it's in the family or friendship or from the past. Lord, I pray that, God, they would no longer listen to the lies of the enemy that is taunting them and haunting them with those things. But God, I pray that they would hand those weaknesses and those problems over to you. I pray, Lord, it is there that they would experience your power and their grace. Your grace that is sufficient. Your grace that sustains. Your grace that empowers. Lord, I pray that they would experience that in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would grow us all to be stronger men and women that are dependent and reliant upon you. We ask for your grace tonight and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, your church said, amen.